We are, uh, as a church, going through the series, uh, a series through the book of 1 Corinthians. So if you've got a Bible, anyone bring a physical Bible this morning? Shout out. Hey, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We are going to be looking at verses 10 through 17. We just started looking at this book, and we are going to read the, the first or we're gonna read verses 10 through 17. And here's what I wanna do as we read this. After I read this, I just wanna look at this, this passage and I wanna look at how Paul confronts something in the church, what he confronts about the church, and ultimately I wanna see why he's confronting it. Okay, we're gonna see Paul confronting the church about something. And I wanna look, as we read these verses, I wanna see how he confronts the church, what he's confronting about the church, and ultimately why he confronts it. So 1 Corinthians Chapter one, verses 10 through 17. Ready? All right, let's get after it. Verse 10, here we go. Now I, Paul, urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say. Let there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction For it has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's people, that there's rivalry among you. What I'm saying is this. One of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in Paul's name? I thank God I I didn't baptize any of you except for Crispus, whatever that name is, Gaius. So that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I did, in fact, baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't recall if I baptized anyone else. (laughs) For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with eloquent words of wisdom. So the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. Let's look first how Paul confronts the church. I remember one day I found myself crying on an airplane. Have you ever done that? It's a pretty humbling thing (laughs) to not just be in public, but like you can't leave. Like I find myself crying on an airplane. We were just visiting uh, my my in-laws for, I think it was Thanksgiving or Christmas. It was Christmas. Um, And we joined on a plane and I, I I was crying because I was in pain. Like the most pain I've ever felt in my life. But this pain wasn't like this like, I didn't like break my arm. I had like this little bump on my like lower butt. It was on my butt, okay? (laughs) And I was on one of those like jank budget Allegiant planes that are like really tiny and like not comfy. And you know like when you like fly and it's like perfect and there's no turbulence? Yeah, imagine the exact opposite of that. And I am flying on this plane for a couple hours, going from North Carolina, where my in-laws are, back to Iowa, which is where we were for nine months before moving here. And it's just like bumping. And it's hitting this like bump on my, my butt. And, and I'm like, I'm not kidding. I look at my wife and I'm just like, it hurts so bad. And literal tears. I, I, it's the last time I've cried because I was in so much pain. And I get in the car after the plane, and I'm just like sitting on my side in the car, and I'm shaking. I have a fever now, and I'm like, what is happening to me? I'm going to die. That's what I say anytime I get sick. I'm like, I'm going to die. And the next day, Mary Stewart takes me to urgent care, and we walk into the room, and he checks me out and checks out this little thing. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah, I know what this is. Like, you, you've got MRSA which is a very 
small but painful infection. He's like, yeah, and your fever set in, which means it's, it's getting into your system. And if we keep letting this go on, this infection could spread over your body and like it could get into your bloodstream and it can sometimes be fatal. So like we need to deal with it. We need to get this thing out, which we did. And I've got pictures and it's gross. And I'll show you afterwards if you want, but I'll just warn you, you don't want to see it. He saw the, the, infe- the thing that was wrong with me and he worked towards bringing healing. How does Paul deal with conflict in the church? Can you imagine if the doctor walked into the room after like knowing what was wrong with me and was like, hey man, dude, I know that 1% of you, there's something wrong, but 99% of you is great and your blood pressure is fine and you're not having any headaches and your body weight's uh, okay, you know, your muscle mass is, could be better, but like ultimately you're, you're pretty healthy. So you're good. Uh, so what do you want to do? You want to go grab some food? I'm like, dude, I am in so much pain. Like help me, you know, imagine if the doc- he would be a terrible doctor. Why? Because doctors figure out what is wrong and then bring healing to the thing that's wrong. He confronts the problem. Why? To bring healing. Paul in the same way confronts the church about something. Why? To shame them for it? To guilt them for it? No, to bring healing. So look closely with how Paul is confronting an issue in the church. Look at that verse again, verse 10. He says this, now I urge you. For him, there's a necessary urgency that is provoking him to bring up this confrontation. I I know that there's a lot at stake, so I'm, I'm urging you, and then look at the next line, brothers and sisters, He's in relationship with them. It's rooted in a love for these other people. He's bringing up conflict and it's urgent, but it's out of love. Then he says this, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the authority that he's appealing to. Like one, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to bring this up, but it's also where the power comes from. It's rooting them in a hope that the thing that he's going to confront them about can be changed. Why? The name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is power to change from the confrontation that he's going to bring up. He brings up things that are necessary and urgent, but it's rooted in relationship with a hope that these things can actually have change, can see transformation in their life. And I think it's important to see this, guys. I I think it's important to see how Paul is bringing up conflict because I think it's going to shape the rest of the way that you read 1 Corinthians, and it's also going to shape how you come into church every Sunday morning. Here's a newsflash. You might not know this. You are not perfect. Shocker. This church, not perfect. Your leaders, not perfect. There are things in our life, brokenness in my life, our leadership's life, in our church's life, in your life that needs confrontation, needs to bring up. Why? Because we want to berate you of how you're not living like Christ. We want to revel in your failure, how you're just not living up. No. We're we're confronting things that are broken. Why? Like a good doctor to bring healing and restoration. And, And Paul is bring that up like a good doctor, but he doesn't just bring it up with love and compassion. He also brings it up specifically. He is specific about what he's confronting. And he actually tells them the very thing, which why? Why does he name the thing? Why doesn't he just say, hey guys, there's some brokenness in your church, figure it out. I think it's because of this. Things in the dark fester. 
Things that aren't brought to the light aren't brought to healing. Things that go unnamed go unfixed. So he names the problem that's going on in the church. And this is what he brings up. What's going on? What's the conflict that Paul wants to bring up? Look at verse 10. Look at the rest of it. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, that you be united in the same understanding and the same conviction. His urgent plea is for what? That there be no what? Divisions, no cracks or factions. And he says, be united. United is, is, is to have two separate things that are like welded and fastened together that become one new thing. It's like a bunch of different parts of a ship that you are to build together, to weld together. And now it's this one new uni- like entity. It's no longer a piece of a ship. It's a ship that can sail and do things. It's united together. It's welded together. And the reason he brings this up, it's obvious. Let there be no divisions among you. Well, he would only say that if there was division in the church. And he brings it up that what should be welded together like a ship has cracks in it. And it's dangerous and could be fatal. What are they divided over? It says that there's what? Verse 11. He brings up, how have they been divided? Verse 11, for it has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's people, that there is rivalry among you. Rivalry. This is like bickering, arguing, debating, back and forth. There's rivalry. Think of like Florida fans and Georgia fans at the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. It's like debating about who's better, who's won more games. There's bickering and arguing. And we know that like Florida fans are always right. And the Georgia fans need to come to know Jesus. But what are, what are they arguing about? What is the rivalry going on in the Corinthian church? Is it about football teams? Is it about something? No. It's not about football teams or something dumb like that. But it's also something that's pretty trivial. All right, let's look. What, what are they in rivalry over? Verse continues, verse 11. What I'm saying is this. He names it so that it can be fixed. Ready? What I'm saying is this. One of you says, I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos. Or I belong to Cephas. Or I belong to Christ. All right, who are these guys and why are people saying that I belong to them? Paul, Apollos, Cephas. These are all leaders of the early church. Cephas is another name for Peter. Peter was one of the disciples of Christ who who really led the movement of the church after Christ rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, sent the Holy Spirit down. He, through the power of the Holy Spirit, preaches this massive message, and the church is launched after that. Paul, someone who was a Christ follower killer, gets a vision of Jesus and his whole life has changed. He's converted and he goes now on missionary journeys all over the world to try to start churches. And he actually started the church at Corinth. Apollos was a guy who came after Paul, who was like a really good preacher in order. He was a, a pastor of the church there. Now, here's what, I, here's what you need to know. These are different personalities and leaders that have gifts that were given to the church. What's the problem? People have now ascribed their identity according to their personal preference of leadership. They're looking at the leaders of the church and they're like, yeah, I'm more with Paul. And these guys are like, yeah, but I'm more with like Apollos. I belong to Apollos or I belong to 
to Cephas. There's even a group that's like, I don't follow any of those guys. I follow Jesus. And it's like, that's like the OG, like Jesus juke, where they're like, oh yeah, I'm like, I don't even go to church. I just like follow Jesus on my own. I know what, I just, me and my Bible. And it's like, no, that's hogwash. That's garbage. Like they are themselves dividing themselves away from the church. And so Paul actually lumps these people who are like, I just follow Jesus. He's like, you're doing the same thing. You're also creating division. And so these are people that are ascribing personal preference of leadership to their identity, and it has created division. Can I just say something? How stupid is that? Like, who's your favorite pastor? Like, that's the dumbest thing. Like, if you guys were in the hall being like, I like Steve, I like, no one is doing that. Why? Because that's stupid. That's, that's dumb to be like, I follow this person. You've got better things to talk about than who's preaching you like better. And yet, we're like, we might never do that. We may never be like this church. How often are we divided about things that are just as dumb? Whether intentionally or unintentionally, we allow for this infection of division that is really rooted in personal preference, that's really rooted in pride, like I'm better than you and this is why. How often do we let pride and preference divide our hearts against one another about really dumb things, like worship style preference? I wish music was more hype. I wish music was like more contemplative like monks. It's too loud. It's too this music style. Maybe it's like untheology, like, oh, he's, he's not reformed. Has he even read John Piper? Oh, he listens. Do you know he's a prosperity gospel preacher? I can't believe, it. oh man, I would, I wish I, I would do, I would do groups differently. I wish I was, man, I, I actually know the best way to do them. And it's not just like religious stuff either. We get divided by stupid stuff. Like, you like plastic straws? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Do you even care about sea turtles? I am just shaking right now. Or you're on the flip side, plastic straws are you, or paper straws, are you kidding me? It dissolves. I don't like to eat paper. Uh. We get divided about trivial things. And then we get divided about maybe more serious things. Can't believe you still wear a mask. Can't believe you're not wearing a mask. Did you get the vaccine? I can't believe you'd get the vaccine. Can't believe you wouldn't get the vaccine. You listen to Fox News. You listen to CNN News. I'm really trying to like pinpoint every person in the room. <laughs> and if, if I missed your, your little people group, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was trying to like nail you. And I, 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 I was trying to get everyone mad at me this morning. Here, here's what I'm trying to say. If we are not careful, we can fall into the same trap that the Corinthian church did. Divisions and cracks in our unity, rivalry, debate, bickering about little things can seep into our church like an infection. And like an infection, it needs to be rooted out. It needs to be brought up so that there can be healing, 
so that there can be restoration. And here's, here's what I think some people might, might in the room is like, really? Like, that's what you're going to preach? This, that's what Paul's going to bring up? That's what you're going to bring up? That we need to be unified and agree and love each other and not be divided about little issues? Isn't there more important things we need to deal with? Like justice and mission and like, man, there's things in my life. Shouldn't we be talking about this like specific? If you're you're like, come on, dude, what, what a... Is it really that important how we talk about each other? I thought the same thing reading this passage. Like reading 1 Corinthians, I'm like, Paul, this is what you're going to bring up first? In chapter 5, Paul, we find out a dude is sleeping with his mother-in-law. Don't you think we should bring that up first? And you're going to talk about people having differing opinions and preference? Like, isn't there more important things that we need to? No. Unity is the most important thing that we can talk about right now as a church. We've talked about how Paul brought it up. We talked about what Paul brought up. Now I want us to shift and think and see why. Why is Paul bringing this up? Why is this so important? And I think, I think it's this. Unity is so important. Because when we are divided, he gets it. (laughs) When we are divided as a church, it robs us of our purpose and it robs us of our power as a church. When we are divided, it robs us of our purpose and our power. Put in a positive way, unity brings purpose and power to the church. This isn't about different opinions. This is, this is a big issue. Let me explain. What, what were they saying? What was the rivalry going on? I belong to Cephas. I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos. I belong to Christ. I belong to. This is not just an opinion. This is an identity statement. I am this and you're that. I do this, but you're that. This is not just a minor issue. This is a gospel issue. What they're doing is removing their identity primarily as brothers and sisters in Christ, as people who are together and they're separating themselves from them. They're removing their identity and replacing it with someone else, which means this is not a minor issue. This is a big issue. This is a a gospel issue. Division in the church is a, a deep and deadly issue because it takes away, when you are divided, when you put your identity in something else other than brothers and sisters in Christ together, grafted together as a family, what you're doing is you're missing a key identity about Jesus. You're missing out on who Jesus was and why exactly he came. Here's how, here's how I'll show it to you this. I know it's a gospel issue, Division, because Paul gives a gospel solution in verse 13. Look at verse 13. Some of you say this, some of you say that. Verse 13. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into Paul's name? What's Paul doing? He's bringing them back to think about who? Jesus. 
He's like, let's go back to gospel 101 and take that class one more time. Let me talk about your understanding of the gospel of who Jesus is. And he poses this question, is Christ divided? It's a rhetorical question. Is Christ ripped in two? No, <laughs> that's the answer. Jesus was one man, fully God, fully man, but one man united with the Father and the Holy Spirit. But Jesus Christ was one person. Is he ripped into two things that argue each other? Jesus did not have like this mixed personality disorder where he's like, should I do this? No, you shouldn't. He was one person. He wasn't divided. And he's making this jump. If Christ is not divided, then why are you? If you are in Christ, brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ and Christ is one, how can you be divided? Family should not fight against each other and bicker with each other. Family should fight for one another. Anyone have siblings? Anyone ever see their sibling get picked on? Like you pick on your sibling 24 seven, okay? But the moment you see someone else picking on your brother, your sister, what happens? You just like roll up your sleeve. Like, All right, people got to die today. <laughs> like you chose this, not me. Let's go. Because you're, you're family. Paul is saying, listen, you've been grafted in Christ because of the gospel, and now you are, he keeps saying it over and over, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, brother. this book will, he'll say that more than any other book, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, remember, you don't fight with him, you fight for family. He's asking him this, the identity as brothers and sisters, as in Christ, are you living that out? Do you look and represent Jesus or do you look more like the city you live in? He asked that, basically he's asking that question. Right now, Corinth, you don't really look like you're in Christ. You look like you're in Corinth. You look like you're in the city. Let me ask you this. Does your life reflect and look like you are a chosen, set apart son or daughter of God? Or does your life look like Gainesville? caring about the things of the world, divided about things of the world, bickering about things of the world, quick to cancel, quick to expose, quick to ghost, quickly to just get into conflict and get out, don't care. What does your life look like? You look like Christ or do you look like the city you live in? And oftentimes, the division that is so prevalent in our world right now can seep into our church, but it is an infection that needed to be rooted out that needs to bring healing, which is why Paul is bringing this up first, because it is deadly. Division takes away and robs the purpose and power of the church. But unity is the church's purpose and a part of its power. Why? How does that work? Because Jesus is the purpose of the church and the power of the church. Look at verse 14. And I think Paul highlights this, that Jesus is the purpose and power of the church. Verse 14, he says this, I thank God I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. So 
that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I did, in fact, baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't recall if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, don't miss this, but to what? Preach the gospel, not with eloquent words of wisdom, so the cross is not, will, so the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. Why was Paul sent? To preach the gospel. Did he come to gain followers? make a lot of people happy, build up a name for himself, go on some excursions and take some cool trips and have a fulfilling life. No, Paul traveled from city to city. Why? To preach the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And I think, guys, this is why unity is so important because this was Paul's purpose in his identity. This is also the church's purpose. We are unified as a family, but we are unified around one purpose, which is what? To lift high the name of Jesus. We are here because of one name. If you are a Christian today, you are here not because you're good, not because you've done a lot of good things, but because of Jesus. And at the same time, you're not just in this room because of Jesus, you're in this room for Jesus. Our purpose in this room is to worship. That's why when we sing songs, we don't sing songs with your name in it. We don't preach a book, a biography about your life. We sing about Jesus. We talk about Jesus. And we're unified around what? Jesus, because that is our purpose as a church. To preach the gospel. And this has power because, listen, you might not know this, but look around. People don't look like you in this room. Every person came in here with a different face. And that is nuts because the world out there will tell you that you can only be unified with people that you're like. But in this room, we've got black people, white people, Asian people, Hispanic people, Latino people, old people, tiny little people, like young people. My son, 10 months old, he's here. Moms, dads, uncles, brothers, sisters, friend, like people who followed, people who just stumbled in here not knowing this was a Christian service. Welcome. <laughs> we are not uniform, but that does not mean we cannot be unified. Let me tell you this story. Acts chapter 11, uh, the writer of Acts, the guy is a guy named Luke. He also wrote the gospel of Luke. And he was, he was giving an, a, an biography about Jesus in the book of Luke. And in the book of Acts, it's like, all right, now that Jesus has ascended back into heaven after he died for all of the sins of the world, and now he's in heaven sitting on the throne, what's Jesus up to? And it was building the church. And that's what the book of Acts is all about. And in Acts chapter 11, I'm, I'm almost done too. I'm gonna tell this story and then I'm gonna finish and then we're gonna get out of here. In Acts chapter 11, he talks about what the church is like. This message of Jesus, of hope and forgiveness for every person started going into different homes. Homes with slaves, homes with Jews, homes with Greeks, homes with Gentiles, people who didn't even call on the name of the Lord, had no faith background, were pagans. And all of these people were responding to the message of the gospel. And you know what happened? It was a pretty interesting worship service. You got people, all these different types of people that should not be in the same room, kind of like this. And guess what happened? The city saw the church gathering and they didn't know what to call it. 
They're like, oh, what's that, that gathering over there? Is it the Greek people? They're like, no. They're like, is it like the free rich people? They're like, no. Is it the poor people? No. Who is it? We don't know. It's kind of like when people named like the platypus. They're like, what is it? They're like, we don't know. Like, is it a duck? Uh, kind of. Is it like a beaver? Nah, it has a tail. Like, is it like a weird water hamster? They're like, yeah, kind of. They're like, what should we call it? I don't know. Like, Let's call it a platypus? Great. Let's do that. They saw the early church with so many different ethnic groups, so many people, socioeconomic groups into one, unified under one name all, that should be divided but wasn't. And you know what they, were, they called it? Acts 11, verse 26 says this. This was the first time that the disciples were called Christians. The first time Christians were ever called Christians. Acts 11 in Antioch, verse 26. Why? Because they could not figure out what unified them. So they called them the only thing that did unify them. Christians, Christ followers, little Christs, Jesus followers, Jesus people. They were united around one thing, one name, one purpose, and that was Jesus. Here's, here's what I want to tell you. Unity, the reason we are unified is to proclaim that message to the world. The fact that we are different tells something to the people right outside this glass. When they go, I don't get it. How, how are you guys so unified? How, man, there's, so, there's liberals, conservatives, rich, poor students, grandparents, how are they unified? And you're like, nah, we shouldn't be Jesus. That's all we got. Well, is it because you like really high worship or like, like low worship? Like what do you, Jesus, the gospel. How did it, the, we don't, listen, we don't get it either. I just know that Jesus saved me and now I'm worshiping him and making him known. And this is the thing that unifies us together is Jesus. But get this, our our like, uh, inability to our unrelenting nature to not be divided is what preaches the gospel to people. It tells them that they too can belong here, that anyone can belong here. Jesus is the thing that unifies us. And our unity is the thing that tells people about Jesus. I love how Tim Keller put it. He says, Christian unity is not just the result of the gospel, it was the communication of the gospel. Our unity together to worship Jesus isn't just because of the gospel. It is. You're here because of the gospel. But this right now, gathering as a church, is preaching the gospel. When you choose to be unified and not let division seep into your heart like an infection, but you deal with it properly like Paul, in love, rooted in relationship, with hope for change, directly, specifically, in love, and that is healed, oh, it preaches something incredible. But when you're divided and you let little things divide you, it robs the church of that power. C.H. Spurgeon put it like this, because here's what I know. I wanna, put this, I wanna tell you this quote, and then I'll be done, I promise. It's hot. Here's the truth. A lot of you in this room will be united as a church family because of what? Jesus, right? But the truth is, not every person in here is in Jesus. 
Like the thing that we have in common as a church, as brothers and sisters in Christ, is that we have been united in Christ. But I know it because it's true in every room that Salt Company or Salt Church is a part of, there are people in the room that are not united in Christ. That don't actually know the gospel, the good news of Jesus, which is this. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Following the desires of your heart in this world. And you have made a lot of mistakes. And before God, you were spiritually dead. But Ephesians 2 tells us, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love that he has for us, made us alive together in who? Christ. The gospel is a message of unity. Christ, God united Christ with us. This, This is the gospel for you. Jesus Christ died on the cross, though he was perfect and righteous, and he was killed. He was buried and he rose again, defeating the power of death. Why? So that if you call on his name, believe in him, receive his grace, receive his mercy, when God looks at you, he will not see your sin and unrighteousness, but he will see the one who you call upon, Jesus. So when God looks at you and you stand before him, he will see Christ's righteousness. This is the gospel that you are united in Christ, grafted together, morphed in Christ. This is the beauty of the gospel. And C.H. Spurgeon reflecting on this on, on John 3, 36 says this, if you are vitally joined to Christ, it is well with your soul. But if you are divided from Emmanuel, God with us, then you have no living union with Christ and there is no hope for eternal life. If you are not united to Christ, there is no life. That's the message of the gospel. You were divided because of your sin, but God saw the sickness and brought healing to it through Jesus. That is available for any person, anywhere, anytime. You can be united with God through Jesus, his forgiveness, his mercy, if you just believe and call on his name. First and foremost, that's what I want. I want for you to be united in Christ. And then, church, I want us to be united as a family that has confrontation and conflict, but it comes up out of love with hope in relationship so that we can have unity together so that this unity will preach the gospel to the world. I uh, was talking to a friend the other day. Um, She works as a healthcare um, worker with children and she got a text on her phone and she was uh, driving back to work from like a lunch break or something. And it was like some code word that they use, like code 47 or something. And she's like, oh, geez, like, yeah, so this is what happened. Like, that means that a little kid, like, got loose from one of the rooms, and they can't find him, and he's lost. And what their whole, like, building did was they rallied together and like, all right, we got to find this kid. Shoot. Like, this is right on uh, Newberry Road, like, busy roads. Like, we got to go, we have no idea where he is. And he's got some, some, some special needs that 
debilitate him from like really communicating. And so they're like, oh gosh, this is gonna be hard. And they're like searching all over. They're yelling his name over the traffic. And finally one guy is in like, it's like this field of tall grass and here's the little kid sitting crisscross applesauce, just laughing (laughs) while everyone else is frantically searching for them. They found him. Can you imagine if they got code 65 and they saw the text and were like, you know what? I don't like the wall paint you chose for this building. You know, really, you know, what are your thoughts on the president right now? Why? Why is that so stupid? Because there's a kid who's lost and could die. How foolish would it be for us as people are outside of our door lost who could die separated from God? For us to be divided over little things. We have to be unified because that is the purpose we're here. It's for Jesus. To bring Jesus to people. To help them see that they're lost and they need it. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for the gospel that you united me with Christ so that my sin would not be held against me. Father, I know that's true. If it's true about me, it's true about any person in this room right now. They're sitting in here and they've been coming to church for a long time and they think that they're fine, but they really know that they have no hope when they stand before God because their life is jacked up and messed up, kind of like mine was. God, I pray that this good news seeps into their ear tonight. It's not tonight, it's this morning. God, I pray that this good news seeps into their ear this morning, God. That they would hear that they can be united with God, relationship with God through Jesus. If they call on his name, receive his mercy, that he is Lord, they turn from their sin and believe in Jesus, they will be saved. I pray that's true. Father, I pray that as we are united with Christ, that we as a room become united as a family. Father God, I know that's true right now, that there are things that that have festered in the cracks and there's been infections. Father, would you bring those things up that we might bring healing to them so that we would be united together, that our unity and restoration of relationship would preach a gospel of grace and forgiveness to other people. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.